This episode was released during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, shows like The Muppet Show wouldn't exist. You can learn more at SAGAFTRAStrike.org and WGAContract2023.org. If you'd like to support the striking workers, please go to entertainmentcommunity.org. Muppeturgy listeners, this is your Muppeturgy episode about the Linda Lavin episode of The Muppet Show. <gasps> oh my gosh. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're so glad you're here. I'm David Levy. Here today with me are Adam Grossworth, Christy Bauer. Wow, it's my old Muppeturgy episode. I mean, it's me, Michal Richardson. Uh, listen, listen, everybody. I'm sorry, but I have a very embarrassing announcement to make. So as uh, listeners have probably figured out, also, I think we say it a lot. Uh, we recorded a bunch of episodes before we started releasing the season and we had this incredible plan to have like a whole backlog so if something came up and we couldn't record we'd be fine and then a bunch of stuff came up and everything's fine all good stuff but we haven't recorded in a month and we're about to not record again for another month so instead of going oh no we're out of episodes um we are going to take a break on purpose after this one for a few weeks we don't know a little while not super long but all of our usual things about making sure you're subscribed to the podcast in your podcast player of choice so that you get our next episode after this one whenever it may be and follow us on all the social media uh we are still on twitter which i refuse to call x and we are also now on blue sky at muppeturgy and also instagram and facebook where we also already were so we will be back with you soon uh everything is great we just uh, are busy and you know what? We've been doing this now for a few years. You've probably missed an episode here or there. So uh, fill that void with a golden oldie. Yeah. Or you have too many podcasts to listen to, like me, and we'll be grateful for the break. I'm never mad at podcasters when they tell me they're taking a break. I'm like, oh, I can catch up. It's fine. It makes it more exciting when they come back. Yeah. I have a feeling that we have perhaps misunderstood the question. And speaking of that backlog of recordings, um, we have a few additions and corrections, uh, you know, since these episodes have started coming out. In the Shields and Yarnell episode, I said that I was going to make a GIF of Michal reacting to something somebody said. And then I discovered that Zoom records the video of only the person who is speaking. So if, if I hate to disappoint you by not getting that Michal reaction GIF, but... <laughs> I wonder what I looked like or what I was responding to. I mean, we can go back. I, de I definitely said it on the recording, but then I, I couldn't actually do the thing. So this is just a random thing that occurred to me. Uh, we were recently talking about Picardy thirds and the inverse of Picardy thirds. And it occurred to me that, do you know what ends in a Picardy third? What? The Muppeturgy theme. What? <laughs> a motif in Christie's work. Truly. From the Crystal Gale episode, uh, Todd Brian Backus, a uh, friend of the show and designer of our logo, tweeted at us about wig blocks saying, of course they have faces. I can't believe Adam didn't know that. And it's true. I actually walk by multiple wig stores on my way to and from work every day. And those wig blocks have faces. But the kind you find in dressing rooms, like the, the professional kind, generally don't. And also, I still maintain that Piggy's wig block looked really fucking weird. Uh, we also got an email from listener Meredith, who says, not for nothing, I looked up The Last Resort, that's the TV show we've talked about occasionally, to see who was in it, and I found that it was created by Gary David Goldberg, who would later create Family Ties. So there's that. And mime is pure nightmare fuel. Oh, that was the Shields and Yarnell episode. <laughs> <laughs> Here is a Muppet News flash. 
Wow, we really front-loaded this episode with me. Uh, this is Season 4, Episode 6 of The Muppet Show. It was produced the week of May 29th, 1979. It aired in New York on September 24th, 1979. It was number two in the air order between John Denver and Shields and Yarnell. In the news, we'll keep this brief this week. Jane Fonda and her husband, Tom Hayden, have begun a 32-day, 52-city tour protesting against not only nuclear plants, but also the policies of the Carter administration and what they termed unbridled corporate power. So as always, we stand Jane Fonda. Two Soviet figure skaters have defected to the West. This seems to be part of a trend. I think this is at least the third time this season that I have said the words defected to the West. There's a gala dinner dance for the Actors Fund at Barney's, the store. Well, Barney's did have that restaurant up on whatever floor it was on. I can't. I've never been there. I mostly noted that because of the top of the show um assuming by the time this comes out uh there this is true and there is still a strike we keep talking about the entertainment community fund which is in fact the actors fund recently renamed there's a recipe in the food section for white gazpacho with grapes and almonds no no (laughs) we don't do sports very much but there was a headline for a column the headline was joy in metville gone but not forgotten i don't know much about baseball but i know that the mets basically always have and still do suck so um there you go (laughs) in theater uh god bless you mr rosewater is playing off broadway that is notable because it is uh howard ashman and alan menken's show before little shop of horrors uh notable to me personally because it was playing at the intermedia theater which is now the angelica village east where i saw barbie last week so yay And uh, there's an ad for Peter Jackson's Kicks at the Rainbow Room, a daring, delicious, delightful review, two shows nightly featuring disco dancing in the sky. And I just love that this is like, you know, the old school classic Rainbow Room trying to sort of somehow blend cabaret and vaudeville and disco. And also they're getting in on disco in 1979. I tried to Google this and all I got literally were (laughs) results about people kicking things or other people in peter jackson movies the director different peter jackson (laughs) sometimes it's easier to just go right to the new york times search when you're looking for something about an old show oh smart does that mean you found something yeah so it turns out that this was not on the stage of what we think of as the rainbow room but like across the hall was the rainbow grill which was like their affiliated restaurant and this was debuting a second stage there so it seemed to be pretty exciting to the New York Times. And the show sounded both terrible and very much our shit. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, man. Yeah, I think it just said 30 Rock, and I assumed it was the Rainbow Room. But in the Cashbox Pop Charts, the number one song was My Sharona and the number one album, In Through the Outdoor by Led Zeppelin. On TV, CBS had The White Shadow, MASH, WKRP in Cincinnati, and Lou Grant. ABC had an ad uh, touting thrilling action tonight on ABC, starting with Hollywood Squares. <laughs> what? That is uh, thrilling. And action-packed. Okay, yeah. well, Leslie Uggams was on it, so I'll, I'll give them that. There you go. Uh, followed by 240 Robert and Monday Night Football. NBC had Little House, Back to School Part 2. While Laura and Nellie are battling for the affection of Almanzo Wilder, Charles makes an upsetting discovery about Almanzo and Laura. I had to look that up because, oh my God, what? Upsetting discovery. So Nellie and Laura have a fight and get all muddy and Almanzo was helping Laura clean up and Charles walked in and obviously thought they were fucking. But also through this, this little summary, I learned that Laura was supposed to be 15 at this point. Cause also I'm pretty sure she marries Almanzo in the next season. <laughs> so. Well, I was going to say 15 seems like old maid territory for like when yeah, and where this is taking place. Yes. Their courtship in the book was very brief. I know that. Yeah. I stopped watching 
these a while ago when they they were coming up and i watched a bunch and i'll probably go back at some point after that we had our football counter programming the lost convertible this is a three-part miniseries they share a woman a car and a war a world war ii coming of age drama about five men who meet in the fall of 1940 at harvard the war affects all of them each in different ways a green 1939 packard convertible is at the center of the story as is chris farris a beautiful radcliffe girl she's radcliffe smurf <laughs> she's the smurfette <laughs> it took me a second but yeah she really is uh this star bruce boxleitner perry king john shay deborah raffin sharon glass vic morrow and john houseman as the convertible yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he's worth it uh, hey you're gonna have a great time tonight because our guest star is that terrific actress and star of musical comedy miss linda lavin so it's going to be a wonderful show Linda Lavin, actress, singer, feminist. Born in 1937 in Portland, Maine, to a businessman father and opera singer mother, Linda learned early on that society expected women to sacrifice their careers for their families when her mother gave up singing professionally to raise Linda and her sister. According to Lavin family lore, Linda's talents became evident when, as a very young baby, she stood up in her crib and sang a perfect God Bless America. Okay, sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what's their definition of perfect i don't know but it became like the parlor trick that they would pull out whenever they had guests and have the baby sing god bless America. wheel the crib out of the bedroom strong allegedly vibes here <laughs> i suspect that also baby is is maybe a loose term here but regardless mm-hmm. uh, by the age of five she was on the stage she attended the college of william and mary where she continued to appear on stage and by the time she graduated she had her equity card and a spot with the compass players which is considered to be the first professional improv comedy troupe in the U.S. She made her off-Broadway debut in 1960 in a revival of the Gershwin's OK, and her Broadway debut in A Family Affair in 1962, which began a long professional association with producer-director Hal Prince. Lavin introduced the Stephen Sondheim Mary Rogers song The Boy From in the off-Broadway production of The Mad Show, a 1966 review based on Mad Magazine, and later that year, she made a big splash with the song You've Got Possibilities, the breakout hit from the musical It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, which was written by the team that wrote Bye Bye Birdie. She closed out the decade with her first Tony Award nomination for her work in Neil Simon's The Last of the Red Hot Lovers. she begun working on TV with a featured role in the television adaptation of Damn Yankees in 1967. Uh, this is on YouTube. It is bonkers. They couldn't afford a chorus, so anytime they might need a chorus, they like have animated sequences. Uh, and Lee Remick plays Lola. Who does uh, Linda play? She plays the, the Liz Larson role. Gloria. Reporter, yeah. How can it cost less to have animation sequences than to pay a chorus? No idea. It's it's not good, but it's kind of worth fast-forwarding <laughs> through. <laughs> Just prior to Last of the Red Hot Lovers, Lavin married actor Ron Liebman, and the couple would soon relocate to Hollywood. After a number of guest appearances on various shows, Lavin scored a recurring gig on Barney Miller as Detective Janice Wentworth. This attracted the attention of the CBS brass, who put her on contract. The week before her development contract would have expired, CBS dusted off a sitcom pilot script based on the Martin Scorsese film Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore that had been languishing in turnaround, and soon Linda was the title character in the hit sitcom Alice. There's a new Called the first pink-collar working woman in television, Alice was a single mother in Phoenix working as a diner waitress while trying to make it as a singer. 
The show was a sensation, and it ran for nine seasons. In 1979, Lavin was recruited to chair the National Commission on Working Women. In 1980, the commission inaugurated awards to recognize broadcasters shining a light on working women's issues, and they called them the Alices. Lavin won one of the first Alices. I should hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Through her work on the commission, Lavin became a visible figure fighting for women's rights and the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment, traveling around the USA to speak on behalf of its ratification. Her marriage to Ron Liebman did not survive her career success, and they divorced in 1981. That year, actor Kip Niven guest starred on Alice, and by the following year, he and Lavin were married. Niven had two children from a previous marriage, and his ex-wife died right around the time that he and Lavin became a couple, and so Linda suddenly found herself in the role of full-time working mother, just like her character. She made her feature film debut in 1984 in The Muppets Take Manhattan, as the doctor who treats Kermit after his car accident. Alice concluded its run in 1985, and Linda turned her attention once more to the Broadway stage winning a Tony Award for her role in Neil Simon's Broadway Bound and taking over lead roles in the Broadway productions of Gypsy and the Sisters Rosenzweig. Her marriage to Kip Niven fell apart in 1992 in a messy, very public divorce, uh, which was caused by him cheating. She continued to perform on TV, film, and stage. Some notable projects include the sitcoms Room for Two and Conrad Bloom. She played Adam Brody's Nana on The O.C. and Sean Hayes' Mother on Sean Saves the World. She had four Tony-nominated stage performances in The Diary of Anne Frank, The Tale of the Allergist Wife, Collected Stories, and The Lions, and a successful concert career that produced two albums, 2011's Possibilities and 2020's Love Notes. In the 90s, she moved to Wilmington, North Carolina, and became a fixture of the community there, sponsoring a theater and a foundation for the arts. In Wilmington, she met actor Steve Bacunas and surprised herself by falling in love again and getting married in 2005. About 10 years ago, they relocated back to New York City, and they remain together today. Linda is still active. She was a regular on the sitcom Be Positive from 2020 to 2022. And last season, she won raves starring in the roundabout theater production of You Will Get Sick. And she voiced a character in an episode of Bob's Burgers this year. Anyone have Linda Lavin memories they would like to share? That's the Muppets take Manhattan. Yes, same. Wow. Okay. So Linda Lavin was like huge for me. I grew up (laughs) watching Alice. Looking at her career, I've seen her on stage a number of times. I saw her in the pre-Broadway tryout of Diary of Anne Frank. I saw her, one of Hal Prince's last productions before he died was a revival of his version of Candide in which he played the old lady just a few weeks ago. Uh, I got to be in the room when she received an award from the Actors' Equity Foundation. That's fun. Yeah, uh, I reviewed her album from 2020 when it came out, uh, which we'll have a link to in the show notes, but I found it delightful. Uh, I just really like her. She's one of those actresses, uh, sort of like Sally Fields, who reminds me a lot of my mother. Uh, And so uh, I think that I'm just always happy to see her show up, uh, whether it's in the lead of something or, you know, popping up as Nanako and on the OC. And this morning, in preparation for this episode, I did spend $80 to buy all nine seasons of Alice. So I will have some more time with her in the weeks and months and years to come. Yeah, I feel similarly, but not as extensively as you do. But like Alice is one of those shows that I don't think we really watched. I feel like my mom didn't like it. Not that I didn't watch plenty of things she didn't like, but it was just like, you know, it's like you turn the TV on and it was on. It was, you know, it ran for nine seasons. It was in syndication. And I think she, like she was one of the names that I knew as a kid watching the Muppet show because of that. Like she was present and she was famous enough 
from that at that time that like kid me knew who she was and same same thing whenever she shows up like i I saw her in the lions i've definitely seen her on stage and i did watch the oc and it's like oh yeah linda lavin's here still working still kicking i think she's great and for listeners who like broadway music but maybe don't know the more obscure stuff definitely seek out uh if not the whole album at least her track from superman because you've got possibilities is a banger uh it was the metal arc of its day in that uh it was sort of the go-to audition slash cabaret number for quirky character ladies and or jason Gra. yes Why don't you get me so uh i finally finished of muppets and men it's not a long book but it is like a giant book like a yes, copy of a book so it's like couldn't take it on the subway couldn't read it in bed wanted to give it my full attention um the last two chapters of that are one of them is interviews with guest stars and then one of them is like a, a complete breakdown day by day of the making of an episode of the show um that episode is linda ronstadt so we're not talking about that now but linda lavin is one of the um more extensively quoted guest stars so if your favorite thing about this podcast is listening to me read <laughs> Strap in. (laughs) Here is a quote. They called a few weeks before I was due to go to London and asked if there was anything I particularly wanted to do. I told them I'd like to do a scene with Piggy because I felt that I understood that character. We're both driven women, you know? And I said, I'd like to do a number with the band, The Electric Mayhem, and something with The Swedish Chef. I remember that Jerry Jewell was delighted about that because he said no one ever asked to work with the chef. So, Linda Levin, our kind of people. Yeah. Christy, how did you think that that uh, worked out for her in this episode? Pretty well. I I think this is a lot of fun. Uh, I think this this seems to be a, a recurring theme for me for season four, but this is sort of a, a top of the middle to bottom of the top for me. Like I I just think the central conceit of this episode is like propulsive in a very funny way. And there are some numbers that I legitimately get a kick out of, no pun intended. David? Yeah, I agree. I may be a, a, a smidge more enthusiastic than Christy, but it also would probably land very similarly in our rankings. Uh, there were at least two moments in this episode where I yelled at the TV, uh, one in disbelief and one in disbelief mixed with delight. We'll get okay. to both of those. You know, I've talked a lot this season about the tension between being a variety show and being a sitcom. And I think this episode really gets it right because they make Linda Lavin a co-conspirator with Miss Piggy in the sitcom plot. And it's a great way to integrate the guest star into the sort of ongoing story of the Muppets at the theater. So I thought that worked really well. I concur. Even if this is not, you know, a a top five or maybe not even a top 10 episode, it's still the show operating on the top of its game. So Linda Lavin is, like you said, perfectly integrated into the show. She's having a great time. She fits in perfectly with the Muppets. And every single moment of the show pretty much is related to this plot somehow. And so many of these sets and costumes and props have, we've discussed this offline, but they have seared themselves into our memories for decades. This is an extremely memorable episode because of this conceit. And I love that this plot is happening entirely to Kermit. Kermit has nothing to do with what's going on, even though he's at the center of attention. It is happening to him and at him, and it's about him. Um, And somehow he can't be a dick to anybody this week. He's uncharacteristically magnanimous and easygoing, and he's just letting it happen and unravel until the end of the episode when he just kind of breaks the whole conceit. 
I, I like that. It's a nice change of pace and it's definitely a good time. The only thing that I, I don't entirely agree with is the, the balance of sitcom and variety show because I wanted more of both, right? I wanted both more of the plot, which seems to go by really quickly and more of Linda Lavin. Well, I mean, there's only so much you can do in 24 minutes. No, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, but that's why, like, if it were, if it were one or the other, you'd have 24 minutes of one or the other. And I, um, because I liked them both, I wanted more of, more of both and, and just felt that it didn't quite work. But yeah, you're right about, about her being integrated in that plot in a really fun way. Linda laughing. 15 seconds to curtain, Linda. Oh, thanks. Say, uh, can I get you anything? Well, you could make me a sandwich. Okay. You're a sandwich. Everybody's a comedian. <laughs> so opening the show this week, we have one of my all-time favorite gags and certainly one of my all-time favorite jokes. You can just ask my long-suffering spouse. I will say, poof, you're a sandwich um, with very little provocation. I will say it when my spouse says I'm going to make myself a bagel. I will say it when he says I'm going to get something to drink or go take a shower. It is always the right time to say, poof, you're a sandwich. <laughs> or, okay, you're a cab. But really, poof, you're a sandwich is much funnier. <laughs> it's interesting because this was a joke. There, there's two jokes in this episode that were staples in my household growing up. And this was one of them. And, and it also included poof, even though Scooter does not say poof. But you no, have but to. You have to say poof, you're a sandwich. She poofs and becomes a yeah, sandwich. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> it's interesting that we both adopted that a decade apart. Funny how that happens. Uh, Statler and Waldorf have a whole brood of chickens crowded into their box with them this week. Now watch the show carefully and you'll learn a lot about laying an egg. Oh. <laughs> yup. Gonzo vanishes in three little wavy lines. There he goes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's still a transition you can use in iMovie. That sounds right. replicate that at any point. Yeah. Go find your trumpet and find your iMovie. Let's go backstage. Yeah, Muppet Joe backstage. This week, backstage, on stage, in the dressing rooms, everyone in between, it's Kermit's birthday, or so they would have us believe. In honor of Kermit's birthday, everybody who had planned to be on the show this week gets to go home. <laughs> or rather, uh, Piggy and the rest of the gang have a whole evening planned at the expense of some performers who thought they had a gig tonight. So it's going to be a wonderful show. Actually, it's not. Excuse me, Kermi, but I have an announcement to make. You know, what is that? Tonight's show is canceled. <laughs> but, but you can't cancel a show. The first act is all ready to go on. Zuzu Fitzwaller, the Hungarian water juggler. No, he isn't. He isn't? How come? Because Kermit the Frog... This is your birthday! Frank Oz good at his job. The delivery of no, it's not is maybe my favorite thing in this episode. Yeah. And Figgy getting entrance applause. She just appears on the stage and the audience immediately responds like the superstar that she is. One of the performers who lost their gig tonight, Zuzu Fitzwaller, the Hungarian water juggler. I don't know if that implies that he is Hungarian, that the water that he juggles is Hungarian. Based on the accent and the clip we're about to hear, I believe he is Hungarian and he is juggling water. Could he be juggling Hungarians? And, and he's made of water? I don't well, know, We man, know that's... that he's juggling water because he comes up with a pail and says, I was going to juggle a Yeah, I know. And we it. know he's Hungarian because he talks like, let's play the clip. This <laughs> okay. will answer all of our questions, I promise. Uh -huh. 
But it wasn't me. I didn't cancel yet. I practiced and I practiced. I was going to juggle a whole bucket full. <laughs> is it hard? The trick is hard. The water is soft. <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry that the act was canceled, Zuzu. My girl Gloria came all the way from Pittsburgh to see me. Well, I, I tell you what. L listen, you're back on. I'm going to go introduce you right now, Zuzu. Huh? Yes. So you know I have to ask, what's happening on stage while they're having this conversation? I thought you were going to ask where the theater is. Gloria came all the way from Pittsburgh, which is yeah. far away. So but now yeah, we know. Your the, question first. Well, both. Well, it's a question and an answer, really. We now know the theater is not in Pittsburgh. It's really. Well, they do that already. They've used Pittsburgh as a place that is not where they are. Oh, I guess that's true. Uh, before. It's a funny place name. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good place. It's a hard to get to place. You have to change trains at wherever they had to train, change trains. Is it? Altoona. But like all the steel. Didn't, how did they ship all the steel? They had changed trains at Altoona. Yeah. So. And the flash dancing. And the ketchup. There's a lot of questions. And the pirates. Yeah. So Zuzu sounds a lot like Count Von Count, but much weepier. <laughs> he keeps coming back on stage to cry and to yell at Gloria that he'll see her in the parking lot after the show. <laughs> He's having a rough night. The funny thing about water juggling is that when he said he was a water juggler, I just assumed that the gag was that he was going to juggle ice cubes. But then when he said the bucket is hard, the water is soft, I was much more intrigued. Huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, or that he juggles while we in, in water, water. somehow. Yeah. yeah, or like floating. No, yeah. I assume that it's like... I, I, so if I was doing a water juggling bit, it would be the sort of thing mm -hmm. where like I swallow the water and like... Spit it up and swallowed it back and spit it up and swallowed it back in like sort of acrobatic ways. Mm hmm. Well, like, like, like Or like, you know, like you spit and then you do a backflip and then you swallow it and catch it. And I, I mean, I can't do that, but I, I imagine yeah, I if can't you were. I see your cabaret. <laughs> yeah. If you like were a human Las water Vegas mountain. Right. In Cirque du Soleil, <laughs> that's what you would do. <laughs> yeah. And I know the Muppet Show books the exact same acts as Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> yeah. And this was pre pandemic, so. Spitting water all over everybody made sense. Anyway, while everyone debates about whether or not Zuzu is in fact going on, Kermit gets to play round one of This Is Your Birthday. Yes, Kermit the Frog, this is your birthday. Yes, yes, yes. We have a whole evening of birthday greetings planned for you. Oh, no. How's it going, Piggy? Oh, wonderful. Piggy, you've made such a wonderful night for Kermit. Oh, yeah, what? for my Kermit. I am pulling out all stops. Really going hog wild, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's a figure of speech. <laughs> sure why Zuzu was crying at hog wild, but I'll take it. <laughs> so This Is Your Life was a series broadcast on NBC radio from 1948 to 1952, and then on television from 52 to 61. It was originally hosted by its creator and producer, Ralph Edwards. Uh, and he would, it's basically this, he would surprise guests um, who were there uh, under some contrivance. Um, and uh, he would take them through a retrospective of their lives in front of an audience, uh, including appearances by colleagues, friends, and family. It's pretty charming. Like there's there's a bunch of episodes on YouTube. We'll put a few in the show notes. It's it's sort of like a surprise roast, but it's not really a roast. It's it's very More positive than that. Yeah. It's very wholesome. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they genuinely would get people from these, these, these people's past, you know, who they were not expecting to see. 
the the original run of the show was I think pretty much all regular people, but regular people could include like a Hiroshima survivor, and one of the people they brought out was one of the pilots who dropped the bomb. Like it's it is weird and very of its Whoa. time. Yeah. They revived the show in 1971, 72, and then uh, it came back again with different hosts in 83 uh, and some specials. um, And those were mostly celebrities, but still did not know that they were going on the show. And there is a clip we will definitely put in the show notes of Angie Dickinson uh, refusing to do the show once she realizes what's going on and yelling at Pat Sajak. And it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, the fact that it re-aired or had other iterations explains or it helps to explain at least why this has such longevity in our collective memories. Because I mean, I remember it from Sesame street in the eighties where they did a, here is your life thing. You're like, Hey tree, do you remember all these people who came up with you? Yeah. There's a, there's a Donald duck version with, with Jiminy cricket as the host. Uh, It showed up on the good place. Like it's, it's, it's around. It's, it's, it it is a deeply embedded reference because that, that is where I knew it from. And, I don't know about y'all, but as a even as a child, anytime an iteration of this would appear in media, it would make me anxious. There's something about this format <laughs> that just like my body mm-hmm. rejects on a cellular level. Like I think I would be Angie <laughs> Dickinson. I'd be like, no, no, absolutely not. Go away. Do you, do you also hate like surprise parties? Like, is I it mean, part of that same thing? No, not necessarily. I mean, I've also never been thrown one, so you know. If, if that ever happens we'll see how i react but i i think it's more the like people that you haven't seen in a while and you know thinking that you you know how important so because i feel like i've, I've seen it on, on sitcoms where it's like we we got this person and then you know they're they're like oh who is that <laughs> right <laughs> right that makes sense it would be a bust on a sitcom yeah it's a like a like a cringe comedy thing that i'd like instinctively i'm like oh well it it did go wrong every once in a while like you mentioned angie dickinson rejecting it but there was also the occasion where when vincent price was on the show it was supposed to be like a big reunion with his wife after he'd been away shooting a movie in europe but while he was on that movie he like started cheating on her and fell in love with someone else and and so his daughter had to like run interference and basically spoil it for him so that they could go on with the episode and not have it be like a big embarrassing disaster. And so he like pretended to be thrilled and touched and just oh, no. bad. <laughs> bad, bad, bad. Yeah, there are a lot of ways this could go wrong. That's one of the more dramatic ones. But yeah, I understand Christie's body rejecting this premise. Yeah. So the first guest in our uh this is your birthday extravaganza is do you recognize this voice hermit do you remember all the time we spent working on breathing exercises Uh, i I don't believe it it's it's mr dawson my old acting coach yes all the way from leland mississippi your old acting coach mr dawson So from Leland, Mississippi, hometown of Jim Henson, it's a frog in a turtleneck. Is he a frog? I mean, I'm genuinely asking. I really couldn't tell if he was a frog or a human. Or I you assume know. so because he has Kermit eyes. Oh, but sure. We're, we're going to talk about this later. He is, If he is a frog, he's the only other frog to have Kermit eyes. 
because there is a scene where everyone is dressed like Kermit and everyone who is not a frog has Kermit eyes and everyone who is a frog has round pupils. So uh, what those eyes signify is the great unknown. Also, he's not just a frog. He's a frog that looks like Gavin McLeod. <laughs> You're not wrong. I, I was glad to see Dave Goals get the chance to poke fun at Jim because I feel like every time there's an opportunity for someone to do something that makes fun of one of Jim's characters, it's been a different one of them and he hasn't done it yet. And, and it's it's very funny. So do, do we explain the gag yet? I don't think so. Oh, I mean, it's in the clip, but yeah, I know there's a, yeah, there's a lot of yaying and flailing. Yeah, it's, it's a frog who flails his arms in a Kermit-like manner. Was there more to explain? No, I, I think that's it. And then uh, Zuzu comes back and, uh, and is crying, and um, Mr. Dawson tells him that he's not, he's not crying correctly and teaches him how to cry better, which made me think that this is really a missed opportunity to make him a fish and call him Mr. Carp, even though... Of course, Lime was only four years old at this point and probably not a reference everybody would have gotten. Oh, I don't know. It was four years old and a like huge phenomenon. Like four years after Hamilton, people would get a Hamilton reference. That's four years true. After yeah, people would have been listening to the album. You're right. Yeah. Well, then they should have called him Mr. Carper. It would have been really funny. <laughs> and somehow Piggy yelling that he's nothing. I want that to happen. <laughs> All right. So round two of This Is Your Birthday, we have... It must be nearly a year since we've seen each other. Well, it's 26 months, exactly. Mm, since the day you fired us. Right. <laughs> uh, 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 fired you? Did, did I do that? Oh, don't worry, Kermit. We're getting along just great. Oh, mm, good. I'm fulfilling my lifetime ambition as a manual laborer. Uh, now, now, Wayne, you know we get along fine What with what we get from my mother out of her pension money. Mm. It's amazing how one can survive after one's career has been shot down. Yes. <laughs> so bleak. I love it so much. <laughs> it's this exact scenario that makes me dread this is your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, perhaps Kermit is reacting in exactly how you would envision reacting. <laughs> because Kermit is put on the spot. He's faced with season one singing duo Wayne and Wanda. And he rehires them. <laughs> Hooray! Celebration! Wonder, my dear. Oh, sweet mystery of life, at last I found is not the engine of this plot and he's not a dick. Like, I love how happy he is to see them before he's mortified and before he remembers that they're terrible. Right. But like, yeah, it's, it's really all sweet. very, it all feels weirdly real. Yeah. He's like, Oh, you look wonderful. It's must've been a year since I, <laughs> since he realizes that he actually fired them and that's why he hasn't seen them. <laughs> it's, it's sweet in its way. And yes, mortifying in its way. I love that this is what they sang. I was delighted for so many reasons. We're probably not going to talk about this song during the music section, but uh, if it sounds familiar to you, it was in the Cloris Leachman episode when she did that whole medley of operetta songs with pigs. Uh, And it's a particularly apt choice here because it was not introduced by, but it was done on film by Nelson Eddy and Jeanette McDonald in their first film together, Naughty Marietta and Wayne and Wanda are basically 
Muppet versions of Nelson and Jeanette. When I said up top that I wanted like more of of each half of this episode, um, this is what I meant because this is all we get of of the This Is Your Life shtick. Yeah, it would have been fun to have a third one. I wonder if they had a third one planned. Yeah, maybe because having just two does feel like not quite enough. Yeah, sort of not the point of the. I mean, in the rea- in the real world of the show, not for us, but right. It, it seems like they didn't really do very much. It would have been fun to have like a Salmon Friends or a Sesame Street cameo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, or just another made up you know, thing from before we knew Kermit. Or just a random cameo from a, like a guest star from season one. Yes. Right. <laughs> Peter Ustinov shows up. I'm trying to think of who would have been in town. <laughs> it's Milton Berle. Gonna sing at you. Uh, we have a moment in Piggy's dressing room uh, where Linda is helping Piggy get ready for her big finale. And Piggy suddenly has to deal with a wardrobe snafu. Her dress rips. What do I do? Piggy. What do I do? Thank you. I needed that. Curtain's on up. Yes. All right. Oh, what uh, do I do, Linda? Piggy. <gasps> what do I do? Uh, <gasps> I could do the number. You. You could do the number. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh. <gasps> Consider it done. <gasps> she could do the. She could do the number. Must have been the slap. Uh, so a little more from Of Muppets and Men from uh, Linda Lavin again. I worked with Frank Oz on my scene with Miss Piggy, but I kept feeling there was something missing. It lacked a sense of panic, which should have been there. It still wasn't working. It just wasn't resolving itself properly. I had the feeling that what I really wanted to do was slap Piggy's face. That was what the scene demanded. But how could I do that? Miss Piggy's a superstar. I was censoring myself. We worked on the scene some more and Frank said, how would you like to slap her face? He was thinking the same thing I was, and that gave the button to the scene. I slapped her, and she said, thanks, I needed that. I said, now I'll go out and do the number for you. Then Frank had Miss Piggy turn to the camera and ad-lib, hmm, it must have been the slap. That made it work. When you're extemporizing, knowing when to end the scene is the key thing. Frank has that knack. Working with the Muppets is not dissimilar to working with an improvisational comedy group like Second City. So Frank Oz, good at his job. Yep. <laughs> Linda Lavin, also good at her job. Well done, everybody. Yeah, there's so much visual delight in that clip that uh, you guys aren't getting if you haven't watched the episode but the slap obviously just... a gif of the slap on the show page yeah and are we going to get in that gif uh piggy's hair just landing oh, yes. everywhere <laughs> oh yeah and linda lavin just like picks the hair out of piggy's face for her it's it's very moving yeah that's we've talked about this before too it's, it's a great use of editing and sound i mean it's just a slap cue but like it's it's not linda hitting her hand like she she does hit piggy and you know it doesn't sound like felt like it's it's re- they really sell it. It's a slap. Yeah. Scene slaps. So finally, at the end of the episode, after multiple cakes, multiple musical numbers, and then one more cake that Piggy jumps out of uh, with seconds left of the episode, Kermit has an embarrassing announcement to make. Uh, listen, listen, everybody. I'm sorry, but I have a very embarrassing announcement to make. What? Uh, well, today is not my birthday. It's about four months from now. What? Uh, we'll see you next time on the Muppet Show. This is their fourth year working together, at least. I don't expect my coworkers to remember when my birthday is. Especially before Facebook and stuff, yeah. Well, let's leap ahead into our music. Um, I have to admit that when our opening number started, I was like, really? This? 
now? This is one of the two times when I screamed at the television. <laughs> well, let's roll the clip. Frog, be a frog. All the world wants a frog. Learn to croak. Learn to hop. And you'll find you'll wind up on top. Dress in green, bug your eyes. If you wink, don't think you're so wise. If you're a cow, your diet will be nothing but hay. If you're a horse, they'll think that nay is all you can say. But folks will sing about how you went courting one day. Be a frog, be a frog, be a frog. Yeah, if this sounds vaguely familiar, it's because <laughs> this, this song was ripped off for a song we've already heard, and quite recently. So this is actually a, a song called Be a Clown, which we uh, discussed in the Shields and the Arnell episode, because it is the song that Nacio Herb Brown and Arthur Freed ripped off for Make Them Laugh in Singing in the Rain. This song uh, was written by Cole Porter for the movie The Pirate, which is a Gene Kelly and Judy Garland movie from 1948. And I this, I mean, it, here's the thing. It, because they've repurposed it for frogdom, it's not the same shtick. And the new lyrics are pretty good. Yeah. Do we know who did them? I did some digging and I couldn't find it. No idea. I assume just the Muppet Show writers. Staff. Yeah, the lyrics are are quite fun. Except uh, I had to clip this part because I do not care for it. Had a famous fairy tale in everyday sense. I haven't had much trouble when I try to convince the ladies if they kiss me, they'll be kissing a prince. Be a no, Robin. No, <laughs> the ladies. Yeah. Don't be a, a creep, of- you small child. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of to do about frog kissing this week, but we'll get to it. Yeah, the other number didn't bother me because tonally was different. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I Worth pointing out that this episode and the Shields and Yarnell episode aired consecutively in the United States. So, mm-hmm. like, normally I'd be like, oh, I'm sure no one noticed. I bet someone noticed. This is the same show that did The Entertainer twice in one episode. <laughs> so, you know. Fair. Fair. They've grown since then. We all keep noticing it. We should talk about the actual staging of this because it's horrifying. Oh God. Ooh. Everything about it is the worst. Oh. This feels like the, the natural sequel payback. I'm not sure what the right word is there to the episode where we saw everyone rendered as pigs because here everyone has not turned into a frog, but is dressed as a frog. Well, and it means different things for different people, right? Like, so everyone is wearing a Kermit uh, collar. Except for Robin, yeah. who does not, which is notable. But all the other frogs put on Kermit collars to dress as Kermit. Right. Everyone who is not a frog gets Kermit eyes, but the frogs do not get Kermit eyes. The frogs keep their regular eyes. Uh, but then everyone else has these like variations on green costumes. Miss Piggy's, I find delightful. I know we call it finds it horrifying, uh, but it's sort of like the way that Mufasa is in Julie Tamor's Lion King in that instead of having a Kermit <laughs> mask, she has like a Kermit head above her head. He's got a big tribble on her head. With well, yeah, it's like hat. a, it's like a fur hat with eyes on it that moves. So like when she, when she's dancing, the eyes move, obviously if you haven't watched this, though, there's a gif on the show page. I really, it's really a drag queen rendition of Kermit the Frog, right? Yeah. Like if they did a, a Muppet runway on RuPaul's Drag Race, this is what somebody would show up in, which makes sense for Miss Piggy. It's a lot, though. They do a a kaleidoscope effect, so everybody multiplies. 
it's it's a whole thing. Yeah. The only thing that really bothered me, bothered me is that the backdrop for this is that sort of classic, like painted style or uh, painting, I guess, of, of, you know, Kermit's face, like very flatly rendered. I literally have it on a t-shirt, except there is a candle <laughs> melting on his head. Yeah. That memory came right back. It's terrible. It's a good drawing of Kermit, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's literally something that they have used head. and licensed and marketed to this day without the candle melting on his head. It's rough. Don't care for it. Nope. Whew. I just want to shout out that this is not the only time when the Muppets have done a version of this song uh, about one of their own, because on Sesame Street, there was a number called Be a Count about hmm. the Count. Oh, sorry. I think it's Be the Count. We'll include that in the show notes. Seriously, we should give the frog a birthday present. Like what? How about a nice bottle of pig repellent? Oh! <laughs> I see your pig repellent, and I, I raise you this. Dedicate this song to Kermit on your birthday, Kermit. Hey, happy birthday, guys! Let it rip. The more I see you, huh? Oh, the more I want you. Somehow this feeling just grows and grows. Well, the rest I So it goes. I love it. I love it. I love it. Michal has her disco light out. Yeah, buddy. Very apropos. Let's keep dancing. This is a song called The More I See You. The music was written by Harry Warren. The lyrics were written by Matt Gordon. And it was introduced in a movie called Diamond Horseshoe in 1945. And if those names sound familiar, we've talked about these dudes before many times. But get ready for some major bingo stats here. So... Matt Gordon uh, was nominated for the Best Song Oscar nine times in 11 years and won once <laughs> for the song You'll Never Know from Hello, Frisco, Hello, uh, <laughs> which was written with uh, Harry Warren. And meanwhile, Harry Warren was nominated for Best Song 11 times and won three of them. In addition to You'll Never Know, he also won for Lullaby of Broadway uh, with Al Dubin. And ding -a -ding. Uh, on the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe with Johnny Mercer. A lot of Oscars. A lot of potential Johnny Mercer Oscar. on Muppeturgy Bingo. I feel like he should be. He should be, yeah. Jerome yeah. Kern, Dorothy Fields. Mm -hmm. And I have to uh, give a hat tip to David, who pointed out that this arrangement is inspired by a version by Peter Allen on his 1976 album, Taught by Experts. And spoiler alert, this album will come up again later this season in a very delightful context. So I'm obsessed with everything about this. Yep. The arrangement is perfect. The mayhem going to town. Linda Lavin's very red and very sparkly outfit, which I wish I was wearing right now. Man, it looks like her like one sparkly costume piece ate a different sparkly costume piece. It just keeps going. It's Apparently, it kind of did. They. Th this is also in in Muppets and Men. It's not a part that I wrote down, but uh, she she brought some some stuff with her and didn't really have the right stuff and so they took her shopping but yeah I, I think that actually like half of that is hers and half of that they bought on the day amazing she also she also had a cold i i am not uh familiar enough with linda lavin as a singer to know if this is what she always sounded like but she sounds great like i love this for yeah. her um <laughs> if, if it's the cold it's working 
Here's another little quote. You have to understand that I was so anxious to work with the Muppets. I'd wanted to do this show for three years. That when I got to London, I didn't tell anyone about the cold because I didn't want to spoil things. I felt that if anyone found out, they might send me home. On my first day in London, David Laser came to my hotel, and within five minutes, I felt I'd known him all my life. We walked over to the apartment Ray Charles was renting. Ray Charles is their uh, music supervisor, not the Ray Charles. Uh, and Jim was there, and we rehearsed musical numbers for a couple of hours. Fortunately, you can buy codeine in London. So I had the cold under control for the time being. <laughs> Great. <laughs> right. The other fun thing I learned from the book, though not from the Linda Lavin section, is that the guest stars mostly sang live on set, which is very surprising to me. And I don't think Linda Lavin is. In her last number, it's it's pretty clear that like her throat is not doing the things it should be doing. Um, but yeah, they would record the musicians and the the guest star would be there. And so they would like record a guide track for the puppeteers to rehearse with. And they were recorded because of the physicality of what they were doing. But then the guest star usually sang on the day, which I was actually a little shocked to learn. That answers some questions and raises yeah. others. Yeah. And there was like a, a, a very small crew of musicians. I mean, they would, they would track stuff. Like they were all like multi-instrumentalists, but I, I think sometimes when we're like, Oh God, this synth, that's probably time related. Cause they, you know, they could only do so many takes. It's been a while since we've seen the mayhem. It is their first appearance this season, I believe. Yeah, the last time we saw them was in the Sylvester Stallone episode. Yeah, well, they've been absent, and it's nice to see them back. Indeed. It's always good to see them. The more we see them. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what are you doing? I dropped my gum. Hey, lady, would you toss my gum up? You could have taken it out of the wig first. Then she'd have to touch your gum. <laughs> well, now he has to touch her wig. I mean, nobody this, wants that gum anymore either way. It's weird, this, but I liked it. This reminded me of a story I heard about my, my mom's cousin, Marietta, who is a, a character. She's been married seven times. She's wild, but she was in New York for a conference in the 70s, and there was this man who kept following her all around the conference, just would not leave her alone. And he, like followed her all the way to her her hotel room and like knocked on her door. And she was just like, what do you want? And, and he said, Oh, I love your hair. He's like, I just, I, I, I'm obsessed with you. I'm obsessed with your hair. And she took the wig off of her hand and and said, here, it's yours. And slammed the door (laughs) in his face. So anyway. Wow. (laughs) That's great. I love that story. Can't believe that (laughs) happened. Well done, everybody. Yeah. I mean, Except for the guy following her around for right. an entire day. Yeah. On a completely different note, uh, <laughs> let's puck her up to our UK spot. <laughs> and though she left him green and warded, her evil plan was thwarted when perchance to happen by a young miss. When in spite of his complexion, offered her affection and broke the wicked curse with her kiss. Well, if you have never been a frog kissing... When you don't know what you've been missing There's a world of opportunity under each and every log Oh, that answers a question that I've had all day, which is, I've been trying to figure out, I've, I've had that song, Would You Like to Spend Christmas on Christmas Island, stuck in my head all day, and I could not pinpoint why, and it's because I listened to that song multiple times within the last couple of days. And at a certain point, the Plinky Plunk uke songs all start to become one long. Right. 
I mean, I know, I know why I've had make them laugh stuck in my head all day. That's a lot more straightforward. (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about this song. It's called Bob Kissin'. Uh, It was written by a guy named Buddy Kolb in 1976. Uh, Buddy Kolb was a frequent collaborator of the singer Ray Stevens. And the uh, original version of the song was a Chet Atkins and Ray Stevens recording that went to number 40 on the Hot Country Singles in Your Area chart. And it's real squishy sounding. They they make a big deal out of the fact that like Ray Stevens did the arrangement. And I just want you to hear how squishy this sounds. If you've never been a frog kissing, then you don't know what you've been missing. There's a world of opportunity under each and every law. If you've never been a charm breaker, and if you've never been a handsome prince maker, just to slow down, turn around, bend down, and kiss you a frog. <laughs> I love how much that audience loves it. Yeah. Also, I don't know that the recording is live. I think that the audience is just like added into it. Really? Oh. Wow. Well, we're going to talk about that later, too. So, yeah. I imagine it's a guitar effect, but they want you to feel like they have plugged in a jaw harp. Or I guess. Frog. Or a plugged in a frog, yeah. It feels very like early 80s children's television show. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah, that sound sure is evocative when they're talking about frogs. It's glitching. It sort of like they've picked to. up a frog and they're playing it <laughs> like Snoopy plays a little jaw harp. <laughs> this is done on a really beautiful set. It's like a uh, I don't know a meadow. It's an outdoor like area, swampy, with, foresty, but with like a lot of flowers, like and grass, yeah. and it's really, really pretty. Almost feels too elaborate for UK spot. I, yeah, I wonder if we'll see the set again. I bet we. Will. Yeah, I hope so. Or maybe one, we have. Maybe it's a different angle on something we've already seen. Yeah, at one point, Robin gets a little blade of grass stuck in his mouth. Like that, he starts out the song with a, a blade of grass stuck to him, like hanging from his lower lip. So, like, for the first few bars of music, he's, like, trying to spit it out while he sings. It's really cute. There's this trio of backup frogs uh, who we have already seen in this episode because they were part of the the frog chorus. But I really wanted them to map to the friends of Kermit that we meet in Kermit's Swamp Years, but I looked, and they don't. Yeah, I I noted that as well. The, the frog on banjo has these eyes that are off-model in a Kermit Swamp Years kind of way. Yeah, they, they don't quite look like say the frogs from the Muppets take Manhattan which is sort of my ideal version of non-Kermit Muppet frogs but they also don't quite look like the frogs that we've been seeing since the Valentine's show is the frog chorus although they probably are it's probably exactly those puppets just redressed but there's just something a little off about them one of them is making a very squishy face that that I think of as Jim I don't know who's puppeteering any of these but like he just he's got like he's scrunched in a way that that makes him look grumpy and delightful ever kissed a frog before never no time like the present (laughs) it's funny because she's a frog and she's old that old frog puppet is kind of horrifying like it 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 sort of looks like someone who's had their soul sucked out of them from the dark crystal (laughs) (laughs) 
but also she's wearing like a Ruth Bader Ginsburg style collar. So it's just the whole thing. It's just, it's, it does not work for me. Notorious FROG. It look, I, is this the first time that um, we always do this? We never know the answer. This this might be the first time that um, Statler <laughs> and Mulder have commented. Meyer, Ado, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, that Statler and Mulder have commented on the UK spot. I don't know if that's true, but it does not feel like a thing that happens often. Um, and so I wonder if they actually like needed five more seconds and threw that frog puppet together in another five seconds. <laughs> Jesus, bit because like the wig is also really bad. And... I imagine more work went into that frog. <laughs> I think that was scripted for long enough that they could put some effort in. It's just unappealing. Yeah. Speaking of Statler and Waldorf. Speaking of unappealing, no, just kidding. No, 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 no. Uh... I'm teasing. Uh, when was your last birthday, Waldorf? <laughs> Years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I stopped having them too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there were some pretty good years. Well, there were some very good years. Yeah. When I was 17, Hmm? it was a very good year. Yeah. It was a very good year for small town girls and soft summer nights. Oh, yes. We'd hide from the lights. (laughs) You too, huh? Mm. On a village green. Yeah. When, when we, we were, were 17. 17. <laughs> it was a very good year. I found this weirdly moving. <laughs> I think yeah. it's just, we we don't get to see them in non-snark mode. And anyway, uh, it's, it's delightful. There are moments of melancholy. Yeah, and it's a nice little fake out. I, I didn't clip the whole thing, but it starts with them saying that, you know, they're, they're sort of enjoying Chris's birthday and you think it's going to be a regular Statler and Waldorf bit and then it goes into this. So that's, I like, I like when they surprise us like that. Yeah. So this song is from 1961. It was written by a guy named Irvin Drake. He wrote the English lyrics for Tico Tico, uh, Annie Sue's number from season three, and uh, wrote a couple of Broadway musicals. Uh, he wrote the songs for the musical version of Bud Schulberg's What Makes Sammy Run, but he also... Uh, wrote a more Muppet adjacent uh, musical called Her First Roman, which sounds like the name of a romance novel. Um, but it was based on George Bernard Shaw's Caesar and Cleopatra, starring Richard Kiley. They spared no expense. And Leslie Uggams. A lot of Leslie Uggams references this episode. Yeah, it doesn't sound great, but uh, I definitely recommend and we'll have in the show notes. Uh, Irvin Drake lived into his 90s, and uh, there is an absolutely amazing uh obit with a picture of him and his wife late in their life uh, in bed and it's just like really cute they're like toasting so this song was originally recorded by bob shane with the kingston trio but it was made famous by and if you haven't gotten bingo already get ready uh no to joe Raposo, san frank sinatra 1966 bingo bingo uh sinatra uh, won a grammy for best male vocal performance it was his first number one on the adult contemporary chart, and it went to number 28 on the Hot 100. And you think about this being on the chart at the same time as, like, I don't know, like Magical Mystery Tour. It's just like... <laughs> it was a very the, good year. The, the 60s were wild. Well, but that that's why there's an adult contemporary chart, right? Like right. That's, that is why we have genre. <laughs> it's always shocking to me that this song is not from a musical. Although it would actually be a very bad song for musical because 
uh, it nothing happens in it like it's it's all looking back and it's it's about stating a state of being and telling a story that already has a very like beginning middle and end so it, it would not serve a dramatic narrative purpose and yet it also certainly doesn't feel like a pop song yeah yeah it paints a character in a very theatrical way man at the end of this Waldorf gives Sattler a little squeeze and it destroys me. <laughs> it's so sweet. Yeah. I never noticed before that um, Sattler like really has arthritic hands. We see like at a different angle and a little bit more close up than usual. And, and like his hands are not like other rabbit hands. And it, it's, a, it's a really nice detailed touch that they did not need to go that hard. Yeah. They have these knobby old hands. There's, there is something especially touching about the fact that there are, two people singing this song together. It's not just one person reminiscing about their life. It's two people reminiscing about a life well lived. Yeah. We're making it sound very sappy, but uh, so let's play another clip uh, <laughs> the, before the last verse. I don't remember that long ago. Oh. How about when you were 63? Oh, that was a year. Mm. Yeah. I broke my hip. Huh? Got to flirt with the nurse all year. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, well, my third wife left me. Oh, what a terrific year. <laughs> yeah, well, what about when you were 74? Yeah, it was the year my rheumatism came back. Yeah, so did my third wife. <laughs> what a that terrible was, year. Oh, indeed, yeah. <laughs> like, it's still sentimental, but it's 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 got them in it, which I like. Yeah, yeah I like that bit. I'm pretty sure that I first learned this song from this rendition, from some Muppet Show album or another. Also, relatedly, how I learned the song my way. Had no idea either of these were associated with Frank Sinatra until much later. Before we move on to our uh, closing number, uh, quick shout out to the public domain. We get a little bit of For He's a Jolly Good Fellow and Auld Lang Syne. We've definitely talked about Auld Lang Syne. Couldn't find much of interest about For He's a Jolly Good Fellow other than it's based on uh, an 18th century French tune and popular legend has it that it became popular because Marie Antoinette enjoyed it. <laughs> Until she didn't. Also, after um, the Statler and Waldorf number, uh, we get this. Good grief. Nothing's on stage. Vindication. <laughs> <laughs> and like, does that mean that everybody's watching Statler and Waldorf sing the song in their box? Is it just dead time? What's happening? But I appreciate it. It's, yeah, you welcome. know. Speaking of uh, what is now public domain, but was not public domain at the time of this episode, they do also sing "Happy Birthday," famously a song that took two people to write. <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> How did we miss that? We use that clip all the time. <laughs> we close out with something that takes the cake. Your life has only. This is a song called Beyond the Blue Horizon uh, from 1930 uh, that was written by Leo Robin, Richard A. Whiting, and W. Frank Harling. 
and uh, was introduced by Jeanette McDonald, inspiration for Wanda, in the movie Monte Carlo, which I have not seen, but David, you have seen. Yeah, so uh, as listeners know, uh, over the last few years, I've been spending a lot of time filling in the gaps in my education of movie musicals of the mostly 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, This is included in a Criterion Collection set of early Ernst Lubitsch musicals, and it is delightful. The whole set is great. It's um, Criterion has this series called, I think, Eclipse, which is uh, sort of like even more niche movies than usual Criterion movies are, and so they're presented with no frills. They don't have like the essays and the bonus features and whatever. Uh, They're just like, we know that no one else is going to release these, but but we also know that there's probably enough crazy people who follow us that will buy them. Uh, if you like movie musicals of the 1930s, highly recommend the set. This movie's great. All the movies in it are great. That's not right. great. I this plus the reappearance of Wayne and Wanda sent me down a wiki wormhole about McDonald and Eddie, and their story is wild. I mean. I mostly got into the, like the more lurid stuff about Jeanette McDonald marrying another guy because the studio wouldn't let her marry Nelson Eddy and like her being a beard for the guy and the guy being terrible. Like the whole thing, like it's wild. Oh my it's gosh. wild. There, there's unfortunately only one biographer of them who has written like the same book, I think a few different times about this relationship. And I, in the first year of the pandemic, I watched all eight of the Nelson Eddy, Jeanette McDonald movies in pretty quick succession and like really wanted to like this book. And I could not like, I, I mean, I, I think I maybe read 20% of it before I was like, I need a real author to write this book. <laughs> well, that's disappointing Damn. because uh, their wiki pages are quite the ride. Well, that's probably someone who like did the hard work of reading the bad book and just like pulled out the best parts. So that's good for all of us. I do have a blog post of my ranking of their films. Uh, if that is helpful for you or listeners, I can include that in the show notes. Please, that sounds helpful. I think we need that. The set in this song is a multi-tiered cake, and the the Muppets are climbing up. While Linda Levin is like climbing and or sliding down all these ramps, there's a moment where like she has to elbow her way past all the Muppets who are trying to climb up to the top while she's like trying to wiggle her way down to the bottom. And she like hoo-hahs past them while making a face at the camera. It's wonderful. So uh, our last quote from Above It's a Men, uh, she's not, uh, it's not that she's elbowing her way past them. She is elbowing Fozzie because he has touched her inappropriately. <laughs> On Tuesday, I arrived at the studio to find a huge birthday cake set. The show was about Kermit's birthday, which was maybe 15 feet high, and I have a problem with heights. I told Jim, and the carpenters built up a parapet so I felt more secure. That production number on the cake was very elaborate. There was a kind of spiral ramp, and I had to work my way down it singing, while the whole crowd of Muppets was going up. Frank Oz was performing Fozzie Bear, and every time we passed, Fozzie would give me a little intimate touch on the shoulder. After this happened a few times, I responded as I would have to a real person who was taking a liberty. I gave Fozzie an elbow in the ribs. Frank didn't miss a beat. He had Fozzie do a double take. Then Fozzie chased me down the ramp, put his thumbs to his ears, and went, yeah, it was perfect. There were other moments like that. I was standing next to Louise Gold, waiting to do a scene, and I was feeling a little nervous. Louise was operating a chicken, and she offered me a wing to hold as if it was the most natural thing in the world. That was very reassuring. So that exact take where they chase each other is not in there, but like that, it it's definitely a remnant of that. And, and also her fear of heights. Like you can sort of see it, like 
once you know that she's really uncomfortable going down that ramp, but she is doing her best. But she's playing it for comedy. Like, it seems like she's uncomfortable because she's trying to squeeze past Muppets. Yeah, they're fully making it work. But it's, you know, when you sort of know all the pieces, it's like, oh, she was just supposed to be standing up there and they had to add a piece. That's why you only see her from the waist up. Another uh, thing I learned from the book, uh, the part where they break down the episode, they did a lot more in single takes than I would have thought with three cameras, like a classic sitcom and like multiple takes, obviously. So I'm sure what we're seeing has been edited together from different things. But you know, where like they're cutting between her and the Muppets and and the different levels of the cake. They they probably did the whole thing as if it were on stage several times. Huh. Um, and then, you know, use that from the three different angles to to piece it together. Which, you know, again, when you watch it with that in mind, it's it's like, oh yeah, no, you can especially you know, with a human in the mix, like you can really see the work that she's doing there. It's nice. Never mind that jazz. Listen, Turkey. What? And get out of show business. So show business this week, this is backstage, but it's a self-contained sketch. So the Swedish chef shows Linda what he's cooking up for Kermit's birthday. It is a bust of Kermit made out of chopped liver. Here you go, I'm so Linda. glad to see you. I was hoping we could get a chance to talk. Hmm? I'm a great admirer of your work. Oh, <laughs> Well, I mean it sincerely. And it's a great looking bust of Kermit, except that it's... It's missing eyes, and it's not the correct color. Um, well, it's the correct color for chopped liver. Right. It's the correct color for chopped liver. It's the wrong color for Kermit, which Linda points out. But first, she she places on eyes by grabbing some eggs. Or rather, the chef says, oh, I forgot to googlies. And she says, oh, you can use eggies to make googlies. And I'm sorry, I can only yell eggies like B. Dylan Hollis now. Eggie, eggie, eggie. Sorry, the worst everyone. thing you've ever asked me to clip. I <laughs> don't know who this person is. I don't know why you know who this person is, but he's horrifying and I never want to hear him speak again. What is that? He's a TikTok sensation, B. Dylan Hollis, who makes the recipes of yesteryear and comments on them. And oh, he had, that guy. Which sounds like a thing I would like, but not after making this clip. <laughs> not after the clip of him that I sent you was just a super cut of every time he yells Eggies. He does. He does use some other words in there, and I, I do not. I do not care for him. I'm sure there's lots of people who hate my voice. I have a podcast. I get it, but oh god, no. <laughs> Once I got past how shouty he is, I yeah. started to enjoy him. But he's an acquired taste, anyway. Much like chopped liver. Much like chopped liver. No, I, I don't remember ever disliking chopped liver. I loved it ever since I was very small. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Linda offers to use some eggies to make the googlies. She places the eyes perfectly, which made me wonder how they did it because she's not looking at the face from the front. She just reaches across the top of the chop liver's head and places the eyes. And then she places little pimentos and it. It looks a lot like Kermit. Hmm. The whole thing felt very nailed it to me. Yeah. I wonder if, I wonder you, if you could monitor. do the same monitor that, that the puppeteers yeah. are using. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, weirdly, this is the thing that I remember from this episode. Me not, too. N- not none of like the, anything that happens uh, but like just the image of the chopped liver Kermit. Mm-hmm. Um, and also this joke was a staple in, in my household growing up. I've heard of liver worst, but this is liver terrible. That feels like the wrong order to me. I I want the punchline to be, but you're the liver worst. Right. That's me. I get it. I hear you. But yeah, for whatever reason, I've never liked chopped liver. I like liver worst. It's a thing I ate a lot as a kid. It was fun because you could peel the, the, 
thing off the slices like the huh. I don't, think I don't know why that squeaks works. me out but it yeah. came it I think they still sell it it's I've only ever seen it in like a package of like eight slices kind of like bologna yeah I'm aware of liverwurst but mainly from the Alan Sherman song sticks of one half a dozen the other which I make a point to sing on the 23rd of May any other thoughts on liver? <laughs> no, I have none. However, this liver is not the same color as Kermit. And when Linda points it out, the chef just whips out a can of green spray paint and starts spinning the the chopped liver bust around like it's a cake. And <laughs> so I, I, even though this is purely visual, I clip this because the laugh track is wild. It's it's a laugh and applause of recognition. It's like the entrance applause for the wacky neighbor in a sitcom. Yeah, it's exactly like, what oh, the say. audience knew he was going to do this thing. And now they're just like groaning with recognition. Right? I don't know. Spray painting the thing on the turntable is the chef's signature move and he's doing it, but it's not. Yeah. I just found it so odd. Yeah. The applause was surprising. Yeah. So this week on Veterinarian's Hospital, the patient is Robin the Frog. There's nothing the matter with him. Uh, it's just a tribute to frogs, or at least there's nothing the matter with him yet. Listen, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm only here because it's a salute to frogs. Hmm. The night is young. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Bob, I haven't had a line in five minutes. Count your blessings. Well, one, I'm really beautiful. <laughs> to yourself. To everybody. <laughs> I don't understand this. Can I go now? This is very confusing to me because it wasn't clear what frame of reality Veterinarian's Hospital exists in because Piggy knows who Robin is, but Rolf doesn't know who Robin is. But Rolf is also Dr. Bob, but Piggy is Piggy. So it's very unclear there. Is Rolf just so method that he only exists in the scope of the Veterinarian's Hospital while he is acting in the role, whereas... Piggy and Janice are not so committed to the bit. Is it just, I, I don't even know. But he's know. uncommitted enough that he says to Piggy, oh, I forgot about you and the frog. So right. Nurse Piggy is in the same universe as show Piggy, who has some kind of relationship with Kermit, however undefined that may be. And when they did the Muppet Show comic strip, Rolf appeared as Dr. Bob outside of veterinarian's hospital as frequently as Rolf appeared as Rolf. So that mm. further complicated things in this trip, he was often the psychiatrist for the other Muppets, which was also interesting. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I do like that. Anyway. Uh, I like the idea that Miss Piggy recognizes that Robin as the nephew to Kermit is potentially part of her family in the future. And she treats him kind of like how I treat my cat, like grabbing him and, Forcing him to accept kisses. <laughs> and then do you wrestle your cat until yes. your cat admits that it is related to you? Absolutely. Oh, someone's never had a cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. When I when I feed my neighbor's cats when she's away, I do not do that. Yeah, that's the kind of thing you can only do to your own cat. Mm-hmm. One of the things I do think helps this episode feel a little 
closer to the top than some of the other recent episodes we've seen is that it has both veterinary hospital and Swedish chef. And so it feels a little more, and it has the big feature for Sadler Waldorf. So it feels a little more connected to kind of like the ongoing life of the Muppet show. In addition to whatever, like the nonsense is of this week. Uh, I find that the, I mean, and we get the electric mayhem after not having seen them for a while. Like it just feels like it's it's regrounding them in some of the the recurring favorites of mm-hmm. the world of the Muppets in a helpful way. Yeah, that's true. And it's also it's maybe motivated by Piggy, but it's also it it's a testament to how everybody feels about Kermit. It's also regrounding all the relationships where everybody wants to pay tribute to Kermit, or at least they want to make a good show for their boss. But it seems like their affection is genuine when they're like lugging him to the top of this cake and stuff. I think it says something that even though the, you know, sitcom and variety show ness like is out of whack slightly, that we want more of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think they're doing something right, even if it does feel incomplete. Good job, Muppets. Should all acquaintance be forgot? Why are you singing that? I forgot. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We're going to take a break for a few weeks to go have some holidays or something, but join us later this fall for a discussion of the Dudley Moore episode. You can find us on social media at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. Buy our merch at Muppeturgy.com slash store. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. Great. Any other corrections and additions? Fantastic.